Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, if at all possible, find the friggin' obvious, beard in the absurd. Hold on to your stinking lug nuts, kids. It's time for an overall. Glad to have you back joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Technology never ceases to amaze me that I could sit here in Chicago in the vaunted and highly respected Aurora Media Studios and talk to people all over the world. So last week we talked with Lizelle Elliott. She was in France. I've talked to people in Beijing. We're all over the map. But today, a little bit closer to home with my gal pal Jen Weigel. It's basically a Wednesday with Weigel episode. <laughs> I'll take it. We've done Thanks. a few of these. We have, and it's awesome to be back. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You know, I got to just get this out right up front. So I've been posting this on Facebook and a couple other places that I have probably, arguably, and I'd be arguing with myself, so I'd always win, 15,000 shows on cassette tape sitting in my office. Wow. So that means I have 750 tapes, both sides, mm-hmm. and, and then I guess 1,500 times X amount of boxes. And on one hand, got two hands, looking for a little waggle wisdom on this one. On one hand, this is an incredible achievement. Yeah. I've, I started doing this in August 27, 1997. I may have one or two of those first five shows that I had the opportunity to do in order to have where I thought this was supposed to go, in order to have the, the path to do that. There may be one or two of those. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. And then it just has found its own route. And most of this is from the early years. Let's call it from 97 to 04, maybe somewhere in there. And it is astonishing to me. There are some obviously very well-known names in there. You Stedman Graham, Wayne Dyer, Dorothy Hamill, uh, Christopher Reeve. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then a multitude, if not most of them, are people I have no idea who they are, where they came from, if they're still on the planet or anything. So I'm trying to cull the herd, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I put the, the, the word out on Facebook a little bit and everybody's like, you got to keep all this stuff. Yeah, easy for you to say. So <laughs> Yeah, we're right? going to store it. Right. So, sure, I'll send you boxes of Rubbermaid uh, cassettes that nobody... All I can think of is vinyl came back. Maybe one day cassettes <laughs> might come <laughs> back. Yeah. But I'm, gonna, I'm trying to get this down to 250 shows that I think have some, some more value. Not that they all don't, but mm-hmm. some were kind of filling fodder. And I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to sit through myself that much. So, um, any thoughts on all this? Well, it's interesting because I find air checks all the time from conversations, and it was like this blip in the radar, right? Mm. It was like this moment in time where things were lined up a certain way. And sometimes to go back and listen to it, like even just now, today, this morning, I was <laughs> looking through my third book, This Isn't the Life I Ordered, with a conversation I'd completely forgotten I had with someone. And you talked about Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer is in that book, and he introduced me to the great Anita Morjani. Have you heard of Anita? I believe I have a tape with her name on it. You Go probably figure. do. And so Wayne wrote the foreword to her first book, Dying to Be Me. And Wayne, of course, many know as the great guru that is no longer with us. But Anita was an, a near-death experiencer that blew my mind when I got to meet her. And so mm-hmm. just going through that conversation, it just takes you back and you realize, wow, that was pretty interesting how that all worked out. But what I do love about that, like you said, 
it's not about the Wayne Dyers or the Stedman Grahams. It's about the person from the corner that, Mm -hmm. you know, was there taking all the donations to help the homeless. Like that to me is a much more interesting deep dive. And there've been so many of those. We can't, base our careers on the Stedman Grams or of the course. Oprahs. And you and I have talked to both of them, and you worked for one of them. Yeah. And so that's not what it's about for me anymore. While that might have been the drive in my 20s and 30s, now as I've hit the other side of 50, I'm sad to him. Well, I'm not sad. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. Hey, age happens. Yeah. But it's, it's changed. My perspective has changed. So now looking back on those air checks, giving you a very long-winded answer <laughs> for a very simple question, it's really, it's really got me sort of like, whoa, there have yeah. been a lot of conversations. And the ones that matter more to me now are not the ones that yeah. mattered more to me in my 20s and 30s. Well, so interesting to me is that I have these culled out in different boxes. So I have the name people in one box. I have the semi-name people in the middle box. And then the biggest box are people that either wrote books or they did something to get on the show. Mm-hmm. And you know as well as I do, when you're doing radio and you have three hours, this was three hours a day, five days a week live. So you got to fill, you got to do things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm eagerly looking forward. I have six or eight of the tapes on my on my desk so I could put them in my little cassette digitizer thing and run it through my computer and listen. And I did that with one of them and I picked it out mm-hmm. and I flipped it over. It was there was nothing on the front. I just happened to grab it. You're gonna love this because this is this is to me was like it had me in tears. A little bit, not a lot of it. It was said Randy Hunley on the back. No. It was the one year anniversary show that I did in nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> and first of all I sound like I'm in you know, high school. I don't know what's happened to my, right. I guess the vocal cords just get loose over time because I talk so much, but my voice is about three octaves higher, full of energy and earnest in my uh-huh. endeavors. And I'm listening to my much younger 38-year-old self mm-hmm. talk about how excited I was that I had made it one year on the radio. Now, back then, I was doing two shows a week from 9 to 10 o'clock in the morning. And I had a big announcement because I was moving from 9 o'clock to 10 a.m., very good. Tuesdays to Thursdays. And I was so excited. And here's the here's the mind blower. Besides the whole Hunley thing, which we'll get to in a second, but I'm inviting people to come out to the A and W restaurant in Rapid River, where I lived, <laughs> yeah. to uh, join me in a short book signing for a book called All Are Chosen that I have zero memory of ever putting in print except for like six copies. It was your book? My book, I wrote okay. it. I have, I have a, you know, like a loose leaf bound one in my office here. Mm-hmm. I have no memory of making any more than three or four, giving it to a couple people. I don't any memory of people going out to the A and W restaurant in Rapid River to for me to sign the I, nothing. Amazing. It really is. Mm-hmm. So part of me thinks, well, do I need to rack that one up? Because some of what's in All Are Chosen, the whole idea is that you're, as you just said, you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be mm-hmm. somewhere. Right. And that was the whole idea of the book. So I don't know if I'm going to resurrect all that. But then I'm listening to the interview or the conversation before the interview with Randy. And somebody walks in the studio and gives me a, a, a basket to celebrate one year on the air with all kind of goodies in it. Nice. And in the studio. And meats in there. Yeah, you I get got... some of that package sausage. <laughs> paying nice. cash for that. But I mean, Fabulous. and then, of course, to jump over and here's Hunley. And I'm thinking, I just, how, how does all this this amazing yellow brick road stuff happened. I'm talking to him on the one year anniversary of my show in 1998. And 26 years later, I'm writing a book for the guy. That's pretty dang cool. It really got me. Well, you know, and that's, I think that goes to this big, big, big picture stuff where 
and as you know this, and some of your listeners might, but I interview a lot of people who've died and come back. It's like, hey, had a near-death experience? Jen wants to talk to you. And so (laughs) they talk about these branch points that we have that are going to happen, these destiny points that either are exit points when we could leave and exit the building, exit stage left, we decide to stick around. No, I want to learn more. No, I want to teach more. No, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. But then there's also these destiny points. And I really feel there are people that we are supposed to meet along our journey, people we have traveled with before. To think we know everything is just arrogance, and that's also ignorance. And so you were meant to work with Randy. You just didn't know when on the journey it was going to happen, but it was destined to happen. You know, and there's so many of those. It's right. not even the Randy Hunleys of the world or the John Denvers or the Wayne Dyers or even the Jennifer Weigels. I'll cross paths with somebody. I'm like, I know something. There's something here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they, I never, some of them, you know, I don't know if they know that or not. I just go about my business and whatever I think I'm supposed to do to lend a hand or what have you. I mean, you know this as well as I do. We've worked together on so many projects. I don't know how many people check in per month with me like, I want to write a book. Mm-hmm. My life is worth this. And you got to be brutally honest and say, this is not for the faint of heart. No. This is a great challenge, much like digitizing 15,000 freaking <laughs> tapes. I have people going, John, you need to keep these. I'm like, I can mm-hmm. put them in digital. I, I get that. And that, that I can, then I'd have to recycle the rest of this stuff. But my kid's got enough shit of mine to go through when I'm gone. So Right. And I remember when my dad passed and handing off all these three-quarter tapes to Fuzzy oh. Memories TV. And th- those are gold. And I yeah. just handed them to the guy. I hope they appreciate how much I just gave them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. I know it's not about that. It's not about getting a pat on the back. But I gave that guy dozens of gems with wow. Fahey Flynn. Oh, and Fahey All Flynn. The, the classics, you know, back when the Weigel Wieners were just born <laughs> with my late father. doing, yeah. You know, and, and that's another thing. My dad's been gone 22 years, John. Wow. So if anybody brings up his name, I'm like, wow, you've been around for a while. Yeah. Actually, it's 23 this year and because uh, he died in 2001 and that just blows me away because in a way it feels like it was last week mm. but then in another way i think about like with your tapes you catalog all the work you've done ever since holy shit i've done a lot of stuff yeah i'm sitting there going no one will ever think or wonder was he really here goddamn right i was look at all this shit sitting in my studio <laughs> yeah. here and then the other part of me is like you know um I remember the early days as you do. You know, my, mm-hmm. my, I, I had no business being in this business. I, I, I took a long walk from the UP to Chicago and back. On the way back, this epiphany takes place. This bell-like tone voice says, go on the radio. I agree with no background right. in it at all. 37 years old, living in a motel, totally disconnected from the life I used to have. And yet here I am. All these years later, not only these tapes, but everything that I've done since then, just by saying yes. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me what happens when you say yes sometimes. Yeah, I know. That's what I find myself right now, looking at this pile of lines and notes and pictures and talk about cataloging your life and career like you with the videotapes, or rather the audio tapes. I'm doing this now for this one-woman show that I'm putting together. And it's just... It's unbelievable. I have to be very discerning on what I'm bringing in, what I'm not. And I haven't done this version of this show in like 12 years. Mm. And it's 99.9% all new stuff because a lot's happened in 12 years, John. I'm not the same person. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. First of all, we don't talk. We talk a lot, just Mm -hmm. not like this. We talk off air, projects, stuff going back and forth, emails, texts, and it's just Mm -hmm. all business stuff. 
So this, I think, is an opportunity to do what we I think we do very well, which is this. I mean, we did a whole year in D.C. together. It, it was it was a great thing. Uh, but I think the best thing you do, besides being an author, Emmy Award winning reporter, journalist, you've been on television, you've been you've done everything. Nothing compares in my book, no pun intended, to when you do stand up. I've never quite seen anybody do what you do. How you pull all that together and how you stand there and hammer it home uh, is, is phenomenal to me. So you're going to be coming up in March doing one in, near Chicago. Yes, the Oil Lamp Theater is this adorable theater in Glenview. And, and I met, I actually was asked to do a fundraiser for them around the holidays. And so I did. And as I was talking to the artistic director, Jay, and he was talking about some of the things they do, then my friend Joe Faust, who directed me, who's a theater you know, powerhouse here in Chicago, he came to see my original one-woman show, I'm Spiritual Damn It. And I remember him, we go way back to like U of I theater days, you know, he, Joe, Nick Offerman, and myself, like we're like <laughs> thick as thieves in college back in the day. And mm -hmm. that's how old we are. But anyway, so Joe came to see the show and said, this is a really kind important show and I'll never forget that and so when I was toying with the idea and he was like I, I want to direct you and I was like wait what and so it was somebody pushed me out of a moving vehicle to get mm. it done because when I have a deadline then I get it done you know I'm a deadline driven gal that's my years of journalism give me a deadline and I'll make it happen and so then suddenly I had a deadline and we had these dates <laughs> and I'm going no nah! but it's just, it's so interesting because gosh just like you with all those interviews there are so many stories that go through this career path that we call life and so many people that we meet that really change our trajectory because they change our perspective. Mm. And that was when I really was like circling back to the Anita Morjani conversation. She said, you know what? There really is no bad things or good things. They all just are. When you're in the light, it's like neutrality. It just is. It's not good or it's not bad. It's all an opportunity to grow. Even the worst possible thing. She said, I got cancer, 24 tumors she had, some the size of lemons. And she woke up after a 30-hour coma with not one trace of cancer because she changed her belief system mm. about the fears that she was holding on to that were keeping her cancer alive. That was her experience. So she was like, oh, I'm going to let that go now. Because as we've talked about before in our show, that we did in DC. Fear and love cannot coexist. They are different frequencies. So it's not like they're just on different floors, they're in different buildings. And so she said, if you're in constant fear, then you can't bring in joy or love. And that is your choice. So you've got to flip the script and you've got to do what makes you joyful. You've got to think what makes you happy. You've got to be around people that make you feel joyful and happy, or you will be stuck in fear and you will be stuck in shame and grief and all those other things. One of the most powerful um, perspectives that you have that very few people have is you spent years in the news business. Right. On the street, behind the desk, all, as you mentioned, with the deadlines and all the things that go along with that. And so you have both sides of the coin. So when I, I'm like, don't turn the, the sound on the, the news. There's nothing there mm -hmm. for you. There really isn't. You know, here in Chicago, if you watch... CBS, NBC, ABC, or even our friends at WGN, all it is is a repeat of last night's stuff with different faces, names, and shit that goes on. It's this, It's how it is. And I don't have that perspective. I only can have it as a consumer, but you can validate that. Right. It is everything's wrong back to you. 
It is focusing on what's broken. To them, that is what news is. It is subjective. It is never objective. There is never anything objective unless it's a long-form conversation like this or a live feed of things happening. Then you're seeing it in its entirety. Otherwise, it's edited to manipulate. And that is a fact. I even know this from the print journalism that I did for years, having a column with the Tribune and the Sun-Times. You hand in 2,000 words, they cut it down to 1,000. And it's subjective to the editor and what they think is most important. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard, unless it's a book or a long-form conversation or live feed coverage, to get any news that's objective. I remember sitting in the fishbowl on WGN, and you know, maybe I was sitting in for the G-man, Gary Meyer, or John Williams, or whoever, and you know, so I'd been there a week or two at a time. Always different, and I would sit there and I'd listen to the news in my headset because you come out break, you got to do certain things. And uh, after a while, I remember like calling upstairs, I'm like, who who decides what these people hear? And you know, it's the, the news director. Yep. One guy. One guy. One and guy's opinion. Right. And yeah. If he's got a bad or girl a bad, or girl or woman, woman or, yeah. If they're yeah. having a bad day or doesn't, that's what people hear. And I'm thinking, there's it's like a giant sieve. All this shit mm-hmm. gets stuffed in it, but only a little bit comes out on the other end. And that's the stuff we see, and that's the stuff that, you know, runs down our central nervous system like a rash. Right. And that's the other piece of it, too, as I'm looking through my show. You know, Dr. Emoto, who did the water experiments and published a book in 2004, and he was doing all this research in the late 90s about the vibration and what uh, words can do to water. And if our body is at least 55% water, some say 60, depends which scientist you talk to, but we're made of mostly water. And he taped words onto water, onto containers with water, love, hate, I love you, I hate you. All these things. Hitler, I mean, he put every frequency you can imagine on water, froze it up, and then took pictures of it and showed those. And some look like beautiful snowflakes. Some look like sludge and mud. And that's all from the energy of these words. So words matter. If you think they don't, you need to Google the water experiments. And I just find that so fascinating, especially with how much of us is made up with water. So if we're sitting there watching the news, and the only thing they're feeding is the fear factor, then that is what we are going to believe in our bones and in our it's in our energy fields. We're going to absorb that as truth, and therefore that will be our reality. And once I just had enough of it, you know, I covered 9-11, I covered President Obama, I covered entertainment, I covered sports, I did it, all of it. You know, Sammy Sosa, Cork Bat, I was right there on the scene. Oh boy, is this important. <laughs> and guess what? There are so many other stories I would rather tell. Yeah. You know, I did, there's a, a thing you can do, a, a test to determine exactly how much water you have in your body. Have you ever done this? No. So I'm like 90, like 92% water, 8% bourbon. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to ask you where I can get that one. I don't yeah, believe you. That, you cut a, back on the bourbon, like you just I cut. I have. Yeah, uh-huh. and not only that, you cut back on the processed meat. I'm really proud of you. I know friend. you are. I had to call and tell you that because, you know, for years <laughs> when we did things, it was always, well, you know, here's Weigel, the, the, the North Source or Bourbon Gal with, what was the name of that car you had? The Oh, God, I don't know. That was four yeah, cars ago. The, I moved um, so many times. Oh, God. The, I can't remember the name. Anyway, this little the foreign Subaru, car. The Subaru, the Murano. No, the Murano. No, can't remember. Okay. And then you were eating, you know, tofu and stuff, and the opposite was I'm driving a V8 eating sausage and beef and all stuff so probably about two months ago now maybe almost three i suppose i woke up one day i'm like i'm done with that it yeah. was just the weirdest thing 
And I'm a guy who would be up at 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. I'd work from, you know, three hours before I ever did anything else. Mm -hmm. And I would hammer the bologna, mm -hmm. the ham, the turkey, you know, the roast beef, everything from the deli. And right. I grew up on it. It's a Chicago thing. It's a, it's a man thing to some degree. Just eat sandwiches. If you yeah. eat sandwiches, you're good. You know, and now they've got all these studies out that show if a dog eats processed meat, it's 90% more likely to have cancer. Yeah. So So what do you think they're doing for humans? They don't want to publish those stories. Well, of course. And so for me, you know, I once you make a decision like that, all of a sudden, it's like when you, you're looking to look at a, a yellow car, then you see yellow cars everywhere because you never yeah. looked before. All of a sudden, all these options came out. So just so you know, for the record, this morning I had uh, a Beyond Burger burger nice. on brioche with a little uh, mustard on it. And you can't tell the difference. I'm, no. It's like I can't even imagine I ate all that, but I did for so long. And the process of dropping the processed meats, I've lost 14 pounds without doing anything except two things. No more processed food. And I do this fast where I stop eating no later than 8 o'clock at night and I don't resume again until afternoon the next day. That's good. And you do that every day or every, every day. day? Well, you know, every, every now and again, like yesterday, mm -hmm. we had a little pancakes. And stuff. That's fine. But uh, for the most part, probably six days a week, it's it's real strict with that. So I drink water and coffee in the morning. And, of course, I'm hungry by 1 o'clock or whatever. And it's usually sure. an 18-hour thing, you know. So it's just astonishing how much has changed. It's in, you know. So there, you were right, okay? You're okay. So. <laughs> it's like every once in a while, my brother will send me this, like, okay, you were right about something, and then he ghosts me for four years. But I'm glad <laughs> to know that it absorbs at some point. <laughs> yeah. So tell me more about the show, right? So people can, where, first of all, where can they get the tickets for this? Oil Lamp Theater. Just go to Oil Lamp Theater in Glenview, and uh, it's right there on the homepage. Just scroll down. I'm Spiritual Dammit is the name of the show. Dates? Uh, March 7th and 8th of 2024 as we're having this conversation. But if you keep on my website, jenweigel.com, I've had some interest now bubbling up just from these two appearances from other theaters, actually. I can tell you I think there might be a June appearance oh. here in uh, 2024. I'm excited. And a fall appearance. So Nice. Um, I'm excited about that. And just the fact that I'm able to get up on stage and, like you said, telling these stories Without filter, without somebody telling me it's got to be two minutes or less, and right. without somebody telling me what's the most important lead, uh, is really freeing. And going back to what Anita Morjani said, if you're in joy, and also our mutual friend, Miss Lisa Dietlin, mm -hmm. her happiness and joy, it's all bullshit except happiness and joy, which is what she heard when she was right. hit by a taxi. And, you know, we've got all sorts of signs that miracles are real. You know, as I was doing research for this, I didn't realize this, but there are 1,400 documented miracles since 1,500 just in the Catholic Church alone, and that's only the ones that Catholics are talking about. <laughs> you yeah. know, and we also, it's just amazing how we might be in a belief system because we were raised I know. Protestant or this or that. You know, the Church of England, for anybody who needs to know this, came about because King Henry couldn't keep it in his pants. Right. He wanted a new wife, and he was like, well, screw you, Pope. I want a new wife, and if you're not going to give her to me, then I'm going to just extricate myself from all churchy things, start my own church so I can marry her, and then, oh, he cut her head off because she didn't, uh, you know, pay, play by his rules anyway. So it's just the way our world has been structured is often so tied to yeah. ego and money and everything. These stories are not being told, and... I think there's way more going on than what we can see or touch. One of the great challenges that you and I have had in this business is we don't play by the rules. Right. And no. that what that means is having that exact com conversation we just had on a major network in, in a city like Chicago, 
the, the higher ups think, well, that's not what sells. Mm-hmm. Having this conversation back and forth about life and what's important is what I told the guy when I started in 1997, I was going to talk about this. I don't want to talk about politics and sports. Mm-hmm. At the time, I played semi-pro football and college football and high school football, and I love football. But it didn't help me when I'm living in a freaking motel right. to get up back off on my feet. I mean, the lessons of the game did, but who was winning or losing didn't matter. And mm-hmm. I certainly am not going to beat my gums to death over politics. No. And I... I, I say this wherever I get the opportunity or the chance, and it's been the, one of the most glaring uh, truths that I've ever come across in my life, that uh, for all the funerals I've been, my parents, people I love, people that have been close to me, uh, all of those, none of none of their political persuasions were ever brought up at the, at the eulogy. Nobody gives yeah. a shit. And yeah. if I may expand, Miss Weigel, mm-hmm. I've never seen Democrat, Republican, or other on a headstone. And that is the most important Ever. thing right there. Ever. Yeah. So yeah. we're all going to beat the snot out of each other every four years to prove what? That you're going to mm-hmm. die? Right. And no one's going to care what, how you voted? And I find it amazing that so much is, because that's how you, you know, that's the system. As you said, divide people, conquer, put them in boxes, let them argue. Mm-hmm. And, and the people who really win in, in, as you know, that really win every four years in two years for local stuff is the media. With all the money it's spent. For the ads. Yeah. That's you who know, makes the money. They want, I'm sorry to say this, but CNN wants Trump to get into office because it gives them coverage every Hunt, single day. Right, right. That's what they want. They want a story that people are going to tune into and say, it's like a traffic accident. You can't stop looking. That is what they want. They want us to fear and they want the craziest story to get the headlines and here goes nothing. And right. that is the wrong intention so lately and, and i've got a teenager and you know you're a parent yep. it's like when you're trying to formulate and help a, a young mind with belief systems you know you can't shove stuff down their throat because they just run the other way but you know i tried my, my son just really really hammered me the other day because he has asked me not to post anything about him in social media and so you know, all these parents are posting this and posting that and i might say something about him but you know the back of his head or uh, an item of his <laughs> it's just not his face <laughs> but i posted something where he was wrestling and he won and i was so proud of him it was just this automatic oh my gosh he won you know because i know how hard the journey has been for him to gain strength with all these digestive issues he had growing up as a young kid we had to go to doctor after doctor after doctor so for him to be able to not only be strong but then to do something that he worked so hard to do and come out victorious i just had this proud mom moment you know posted some silly little video and that got back to him and mm. he was crushed mm. and it was like you did you just totally disrespected me and you disobeyed our agreement and i don't know if i can trust you again and i was crushed john because sure. he's right i said you're right i'm so sorry i let my excitement get the best of me and uh, you know i i broke the rules but that's what life is about having those difficult conversations. So we sat on the couch, we hammered it out, I apologized, I owned it. What people don't do now is nobody holds themselves accountable. I just said, I don't know what it's gonna take to build back your trust, but I'm gonna do everything that I can to try because you matter. You matter more to me than anything on this earth and whatever it takes, I will do. And I'm sorry, I get why you're upset and I am so sorry. And that was important as a Mm -hmm. parent. You know, how many people out there just go up no, I'm not going to look. If I don't look, then it didn't exist. You know, right. just just ignore it. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and think about the pressures on your son. My kids didn't mm-hmm. have all of that stuff because the Internet wasn't a thing yet in 
selfies and all that kind of stuff. But to think now that there's this added layer of all this social, which is really unsocial media at times, mm-hmm. I don't want nothing to do with it. You know, I, I have uh, last week we had Lizelle Elliott on. She has a million people following her on uh, Twitter or X or Instagram or all of those together. Mm-hmm. And that's an, a huge accomplishment. And I mean, but back in the day, you couldn't get a million people to follow somebody unless you paid them. Right now, right. stuff spreads out, you know, like wildfire for the better and the worse. So it's a, mm-hmm. it is a slippery slope, ma'am. That is for sure. Very slippery. And, you, and the manual too, and you talk about this a lot. What our parents did and what we're doing, hopefully we are changing how we did it because we don't want to repeat the history of our parents, right? Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay. Uh, Only philosophically. Okay, got it. Yes. (laughs) Well, so this was really funny. So my friend Armin, who is like my godfather, he was my dad's best friend, his grandson basically got kicked out of kindergarten. Like something bad happened. Kicked out of kindergarten. Yeah. You know, how how unruly do you have to be at five to get kicked (laughs) out of kindergarten? But he did. So his daughter was like, you know, dad, can you please talk to him? And his name is, I don't want to say his name because it's a very unusual name. So some people, (laughs) anyway, so, so Armin looked at his grandson and he was like, listen, kiddo, I'm so ashamed of you. You should be so, you know, he, he went with the program his parents yeah, did. the big guilt trip. Shame and guilt. You need to apologize. You need to make this right. You should be ashamed of yourself, young man. And this little kid looked at his grandpa and said, hey, Papa, I'm sorry you're, you feel that way, but I'm good. <laughs> it was like, what? He goes, I know I did the right thing. Like, apparently the teacher maybe wasn't in alignment there. And, uh, and this kid was pretty adamant that he did the right thing, that his reaction was warranted. And it wasn't just pure entitlement. It was like, mm, no, I'm not just going to sit back and watch the person in authority do mm-hmm. something that I think is not right. At five. And there you go. It's like that is an example of re- history not repeating itself. Right. Because these kids are choosing to do it differently and say, no, I'm not going to sit back and watch this ruler go all, you know, it's, yeah. this is this is ridiculous so i i feel like we are making some progress as as a human race we're making a product pro- progress from this dictatorship that's been programmed into us in mm-hmm. many institutions uh, you know facebook to me is such an interesting social media experiment you know bill curtis and i have had this ongoing argument for 15 years 12 years for sure and he's convinced I don't know if he's as convinced as he used to be, but he was convinced in the beginning that the internet is the greatest opportunity for humanity ever. Meaning that we will have access to things that nobody before us has ever had access to. You don't have to go open up the uh, you know the dictionary anymore. It's just right there at your fingertips. You don't have to do, look at the you know the the Encyclopedia Britannica to find it's everything's literally figuratively physically right at our fingertips. More information uh-huh. than any group of humans has ever had in the history of the of all of us right i don't that's good except it's only good as if you use it and apply it and i don't think my my experience has been my observation watching all this has been is that all it really does is just reaffirm people for where they're at there's maybe a slice of people that go oh i'm going to learn something new today like perfect example i just finished watching the life on our planet eight-part series uh, produced by Amblin Television and Silverback Films, mm-hmm. executive producer, some guy named Steven Spielberg. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and um, Yeah, and, and next to Bill Curtis, it's narrated by the other greatest voice, which is Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say, I know a lot about some of this. I mean, I took yeah. science. I love science. I love dinosaurs. I love all the whole history, the whole evolution thing. And of course, they brought it alive in eight episodes, which is unheard of. We didn't need 500 back in the day. Right. And I'm watching how they move through the timeline. And of course, it's just so well done. And I'm thinking to myself, how many other people are watching this that may have not heard about how, how this has all taken place? And to them, like the Flintstones is a documentary. Mm-hmm. And too many. I, too many. And, and can, you exp- can you get past what you were taught and the belief system you grew up with and then open that up and pull the curtain back as you ta- talked earlier about, you know, behind the curtain mm-hmm. and find something new that may move you in a new direction. But I think the challenge is once you start kind of confronting your own belief system, you're really confronting your entire existence yeah. and the people that came before you. And who wants to do that? Wrestling's on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I used to get so mad at people who had gifts of doing certain things, storytelling or whatever it might be, art. And if they just sat at home and didn't use them, I would be mm. like, that's such a waste. That's such a waste. But who am I to judge? Yep. You know, maybe maybe just them teaching their grandkid how to draw a tree is all they have to do with their artistic gift. And that quality time is enough in the big, big picture. And that really, every time you're, all these people are praying for this and praying for that, there are all these want shopping lists. I want this. I need this. You know, how many times are you taking that energy of your grocery list and needs and wants and putting it out there? Like, what does somebody else need? Right. And that's what I feel like sometimes the internet can be good for that, connecting. Like, look at what you were saying. You've talked to people in Beijing and people in France because of technology. Mm -hmm. We do have to thank it. It's wonderful that it exists. And yet it also makes a lot of people very isolated, very lazy, and very subjective, as we talked about again. And as I look at these tapes here, in the last 97 minutes we have left to talk, because we could do this all day, and we often do. We just Mm -hmm. have to have microphones on. I think about how how put, putting information out in the world was like what I'm supposed to do. All I'm supposed to do is deliver the mail. Mm-hmm. I can't read it for anybody. This is the mail that I've chosen for today, subjective, that I think could enhance your life experience. A conversation with, uh, who's this? Oh, there's a tape right here. A conversation with John Adamski. A-D-A-M-S-K-I. I don't know who John is or when he was on, anything like that. But whatever <laughs> yeah, right? But whatever we talked about back in the day is on that tape, and maybe somebody heard it and, and it made a difference. And I think of two, two examples that make all of these tapes worth it. The first one, I just got a call the other day from Susan Coffey. Her late husband, Captain Jerry Coffey, was one of the longest-held prisoners of war in Vietnam. Wow. I have his book sitting over here, Beyond Survival, Required Reading for Every Human. If you don't like sitting in traffic and that pisses you off, Try seven years in the Hanoi Hilton, mm-hmm. and you have a perspective shift. This is what Jerry different. went through, right? Yep, yep. Jerry comes back, and he says, if I didn't forgive my captors, I'd still be in prison. Wow. We have, Yeah. So, so that is the highest level to me of action or reaction taken up off for something that was just so horrible. A handful of men know what that feels like. And so she called me today. We were going back and forth and talking, and, and I was sharing with her a story that I've told before that bears repeating in this conversation. I remember doing a show. It's probably in that pile over there with Jerry back in 1998, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. And we had just finished. He was doing, talking about the book and his experiences in Vietnam and all that kind of thing. And when I got off the air, there was a phone call waiting for me, and it was a woman 
uh, who was in near tears back and forth telling me, you know, what happened to her husband because of that show. Well, what was that? So he's a mail carrier mm-hmm. and he had a transistor radio and he's walked around listening to the show in the afternoon, wow. unbeknownst to me. And he was a Marine Corps vet who never talked about Vietnam. He took the job as a mail carrier to be away from people, didn't want to see anybody. Mm-hmm. And he was listening the whole time, came home, sat in the chair in the corner and sobbed mm. because of what Jerry had said. Right. So that's the, the upside of all this, right? Yep. And how do you find platforms to do that? So on one hand, some days, Jen, I feel like freaking Forrest Gump, like when he was running back and forth across the coast to coast. Yeah. And then he just stops, goes, I'm done. Right. Some days I feel like I'm done. I've done right. enough. Let somebody yep. else do it. And yet something will trip my trigger. There'll be a reminder. I, it could be one of a hundred things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, turn the mic on and talk to Jen because she's doing this and here's this. And somebody will, and if somebody goes to the event and they hear something they're supposed to hear, we did our job. That's it. And it's one person. Like I would tell this to people all the time. Jesus was a carpenter who went from stump to stump. He wasn't the CEO of Google. Like people, you know, and oh, by the way, I love it when an evangelical tells me that Jesus was Christian. I'm like, he was Jewish. His family was Jewish. (laughs) Mother Mary was Jewish. There was no Christian religion at that point. (laughs) The reason there's a Christian religion, because they were all Jewish. You know, oh my gosh. So again, love the ignorance people. But the point is, knowledge is power. And I start this off in my show. If we just did everything we thought was supposed to be done the same way over and over again, that's the definition of insanity. Mm -hmm. And so with... Questions and conversations comes information. Otherwise, we'd all still be smoking on airplanes. (laughs) So we've got to ask questions or else. And I I always reference the 1949 commercial. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Yes, doctors lighting up. Nine out of ten doctors smoke camels. That is literally (laughs) how we used to sell, you know, because Philip Morris was, Mm -hmm. you know, was shockingly in bed with the medical community. So these things, these things that we did because we were told by some authority figure we were supposed to do, when something doesn't feel right, people follow your gut. Mm -hmm. That is another thing I'm empowering people to do. It's really your gut check is something. It's your universal right. You're born with it. Don't shut it down because somebody down the corner says you're wrong. If you feel it in your body, say it. And that is what I want to empower people, to just trust themselves. We just forget how to do it. Yeah, you know, I think about that long walk in 1996 that I took. Mm-hmm. I was in the middle of the shits, meaning nothing was working, and I had a college degree, and I'm a veteran, and I'm a good guy, and I work hard, and so mm-hmm. what? Now what? And I took that walk because I had a series of dreams over and over again. I could see myself on the side of the road with a backpack on, walking with a beard and a stick in my hand. Mm-hmm. The sun was on my left, which I'm assuming I'm going you know, north because it's on the west side. And it wouldn't leave me alone. And I knew in my gut there was something going on. My, mentally, I thought I'm just losing my shit here. Cause who, sure. who, why would you dream that over and over again? Mm-hmm. And the long and short of it is I did take that walk and I did f- end up in Oconomowoc literally standing in the dream that I had had many times over, physically standing in the dream. And pretty much every circuit I had growing up in Chicago blew right up my ass. Right. How do you... How does that happen? More importantly, as I look at this pile of stuff here, think, what would my life have been like had I not said yes? Mm-hmm. No books, no TED Talks, thousands of radios. The thing, Whatever it is I was supposed to do would have been remained dormant or gone somewhere else. 
Mm-hmm. But I said yes, and and it's been a lot of ups and downs and and difficulties and 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 you know celebrations, but that's life, and right. so at least I think about you know uh, using it all up. This is what I've been given to do, for hell or high water. This is what I'm going to do, except when I feel like I'm done, and then I get resurrected a little bit. Right, but you were also inspired, you know, to say yes, and that's what I try to empower people to remember. When you take an inspired action, which is like you kept getting that dream and you, it didn't, when something is like an anvil over the head three times, to- if something comes at you a few times more than once, pay attention. That's your inner GPS trying to tell you, turn left, turn left, turn left. And you will be amazed at what happens when you follow that inner GPS. But if you ignore it and you're like, ah, forget it, ah, yep. forget it, ah, forget it. You're right. Then that's when you miss out. You miss out on so much. But you said yes because you were inspired to say yes. You know, some people want to just be out there for the wrong intent, right? They just want to be famous. Like you said, everybody calls you up and says, hey, I got a book in me. And I always say, you know what? Let's talk about your why. Why do you want to write a book? Because we can figure out the how and we can get it out there. But what is your why? Because if you're not totally healed or, you know, at least working on some of your issues and you think the book's going to solve all your problems, I've got news for you. It won't. <laughs> it's just a $19.99 business card. Business card, card. That's exactly. Right. That's right. Listen, exactly. I love talking with you. I so admire your work and your ethic and your and your drive and all the talent that you have. You know, it's just it's one of the great things, one of the great byproducts of saying yes is that we have a friendship well over 20 years. Where was it? Sacred Grounds? What was the name of that place? Blind Faith. Eh, I mm-hmm. don't think so. Same think, thing. Bl- yeah, same it. message, right? Blind Faith Cafe. It's been there since the 80s. It's still Evanston. there? Yeah, it's still there. Well, we yeah. haven't been back since 19... 19- oh. Clinton was president. You know what? And what's funny is it's a vegan place, so no wonder you didn't oh. eat back then. You didn't touch your food, mister. I had a glass. I had a cup of coffee and maybe okay. a biscuit. They that did have it. coffee and they did have biscuits, but it's, it's you know, now that you're eating this, you know, veggie meat stuff, you might quite dig it. Hey, listen, people, listen, just real clear, though, just because mm-hmm. I'm cutting back doesn't mean I ain't going to have some sausage on my pizza. Okay, well, good. Sausage. You can't completely change who no. you are without, you know, causing a short circuit. So let's just go slow. I'm modified. I'm modified <laughs> is what it is, Michael. Modified. It's John, it's John 2.0. I'd say it's John 5.0. <laughs> oh, boy. Listen, so much that we've done together is just a highlight of, of part of my career that is just fantastic. One more time, where people can find you, when you're doing this stand-up thing, and all the particulars, Jennifer. You can go to the Oil Lamp Theater and just look at the homepage there. And if you missed it, because this conversation's happening before the shows on March 7th and 8th of 2024, just go to jenweigel.com and check out events, and it'll be there. You can always find me there, John. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jen. I appreciate you so okay. much. Thank you. too. You. She's great. And... Uh, I got to tell you, you know, I, I just, I, I've worked in this business with so many different people and she's one of the best. There's obviously a mutual admiration society. If you get the opportunity, you got to go to the oil lamp theater in Glenview to check her out and her one woman standup show. It's fantastic. Or, you know, jenweigel.com, you can find all the stuff there, but go see this. It, it's really something. If you've listened to her on the radio uh, over the years, whether we've did it together at WGN or she's been in the air, we did the W where was it? DC. I can't remember the name of the call letters because it was a long time ago. Or she sits in a WCPT now and again or whatever, wherever. Reading her books. If you're a fan of Weigel, this is your opportunity to get up and close to one of the best talents, I think, that we have in the business today. Until next time, be well. Safe travels.
Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.